Welcome to Books and Authors with Carrie Barber, the podcast where we talk to authors about their new books. I'm your host, Carrie Barber. Find us online at booksandauthors.com. That's bksandauthors.com. On this episode of the podcast, we continue our special series in which I talk to people in the book business who are not necessarily writers. On my guest list are a literary agent, a book critic, an editor, and today, a book publicist. Lauren Sarand, that's C-E-R-A-N-D, is an independent book publicist who spreads the word about books, writers, and various literary happenings. Time Out New York called her one of the cultural gatekeepers in the literary world. She speaks and writes widely about the book business, too, and I am thrilled to have her on Books and Authors today. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Carrie. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you give us a thumbnail sketch of your job, of what you do? Sure, absolutely. I work primarily as a consultant to authors, organizations, basically a very broad spectrum of creative professionals to figure out, in most ways, how to incorporate technology and new ways of engaging with social media into their current work and business practices. So, for example, I might work with an author to figure out where her audience is and how to most effectively reach them to coincide with the publication of a new book. Or I might help someone who is a veteran think about you know, what they can do to make their next book be the most um, buzzed about book of their career. And sometimes I think people think that what I and all publicists do is some sort of alchemy or is magical. It's actually a very technical job with an incredible amount of time reading, sitting in front of a computer, and primarily communicating with other people and, and learning about what they're into. I used to take rejection really personally because I get rejected on behalf of my clients several dozen times a day. And um, at a certain point, I, I, I had a lot of time to sit with that practice. And I realized that everybody in the world is looking for something. You know, we all wake up in the morning and we're thinking about what's interesting to us and what we want to do with this day. That's the only day like this in the world in our lifetimes. And I think that there's a real passion there. And so instead of being discouraged because someone doesn't want what I have or the person that I'm working with is not appealing to them, I think of my job as um, ultimately becoming a more effective matchmaker and finding the, the editors and the critics for whom the book that I'm working on is the thing that they've been searching for. And how did you get into this line of work? What's your little bit of your background? Uh, I majored in college in industrial labor relations at Cornell University. And uh, after I did a year in New Orleans at Loyola University when I was a freshman majoring in finance, or as they say it in the South, finance. And uh, I really enjoyed that, actually. I was going to work on Wall Street my whole childhood and my whole life. But when I got to Cornell, I had a real awakening because majoring in labor relations, I, I suddenly understood something about the world and the ways that it operated structurally in ways that had never really been revealed to me before. And it was a real education in that sense. And so I wanted to do what I could do to make a real contribution to making the world a better place. And so I went to work for the labor movement. And um, the only job that I could really get that I thought I would be good at was uh, working as an intern in the media relations department of the AFL-CIO and so I did get that job and it was very competitive and you know they asked I didn't really know what a publicist was I had never heard of it and so uh, they said well can you write and talk on the phone and I thought yeah I can absolutely do that and it really was like that and I do think that in many ways I was part of like the last generation of publicists who are trained in a very classical way and a very technical way and what I did was very uh, behind the scenes and you could never 
contact an editor yourself, like a publicist had to write a media advisory or a press release in a very precise way down to the uh, numerical code that goes at the bottom of a page that tells you there's another page that's going to come out of the fax machine behind it. And so, um, you know, that kind of all disappeared a few years into my career and that changed things. But the first couple of years, I did that work and that was really national campaigns uh, promoting social justice and very specifically the rights of workers to organize and form unions without the unjust and illegal interference from their employers, which is unfortunately too tolerated in this country. Uh, I did that for a while and I was really, really good at it. And I thought that um, I was going to go in a direction that our society was fundamentally not moving towards. And, you know, I was wrong with Occupy Wall Street. I really did sincerely say that I just didn't see Americans running in the street to protest income inequality in my lifetime. And, of course, I lived near Wall Street for five years very recently, and so I actually heard that protest before it was on the news. So it's a nice example that you can always be surprised uh, by what happens in the world. But I felt that... I was becoming a specialist in something that would be an antique and that I had to find another way to work in the world. And I wasn't really interested in politics. I found certain aspects of lobbying and things that I had tried out to just not really mesh with my personality and the kind of way that I wanted to move in the world. And so I thought that I would work with writers because um, ideas are really powerful and ideas can change the world and ideas can speak in a really broad way and the story can I have many books that have changed my life and I thought that's something that I can do so I had a reading series I had a job at a, a very large cultural institution here in New York City and um, I kind of learned the ropes and what I really learned was that even though the internet had transformed the world that I had been working in when I worked with unions and I worked with business editors and I did press conferences that was all very much driven by the internet very quickly the cultural world was almost um, utterly untouched by it and so I saw a great opportunity there and I went for it. Coming up to today, how do you decide what writer or what event you will represent and, and what you won't? Yeah, I would say that I, um, I'm only one person and so um, I hear a lot of secondhand stories about people who were very disappointed that I wasn't able to work with them and you know that's disappointing to me too but I, I made a choice to not have an agency and to not work in a bigger company. So um, I do have to turn down probably about 90% of the people who contact me. And so for the stuff that I do take on, um, I look for something that, um, especially when we're talking about contemporary literature and fiction, I, I'm definitely looking for something that speaks to how we live and begins a conversation. And I read a great quote by a, a writer I wish I could remember in a recent issue of Music and Literature, which is a great new independent literary magazine that I love. And it was something like, I'm not afraid of the difficult. And I always, I felt when I read that, like, oh, that really, that describes so much of what I look for. Like, I definitely have a reputation for working on, you know, very complex, very avant-garde, very experimental literature. That's what's interesting to me. You know, recently I was reading a manuscript and it was really violent. And I was trying to decide if I should take that on. And, and I thought, well, you can't turn away from this. Like, this is the violence of the world. And if there's something important to be said about that, then that's a discussion that you should be a part of because this book engenders that and that that's meaningful to me. So I'm always looking for um, something that in some way connects to our lived experience because I think the capacity to learn and to grow um, is sometimes not necessarily utilized by the entertainment options that we're given. And I don't necessarily believe in being comfortable as a way of consoling the soul. Let's talk about the publishing business a little bit. Where do you where do you think we are, and what? how do you see the prognosis? 
I should say that even though I've been freelancing for, I think, 11 years full-time, I've never worked in a publishing house. So these are all my opinions, kind of like when I went to Edinburgh and I thought that it was exactly what I imagined London to be like as a young girl. I was like, oh, there's the gloomy castle and the fog. But um, I think the challenge right now and the biggest challenge that I see in my work is like a, a sort of fundamental unwillingness to look at the structural impact of the way that the internet has gutted traditional media, which remains the basis for how people do their marketing and publicity outreach. And I think that um, there should just be a really broader industry-wide conversation because I feel like a lot of authors feel like they're in the trenches and they're learning every day by trial and mostly error, like we all do, and success and failure about what's working or not working for them. And everyone lives in this like permanent terror of having a disappointing sales record that will preclude going on to your next book. And then I feel that the conversations that I have about uh, publishing campaigns, I mean, they really haven't changed fundamentally in 10 years. And I understand why that is. I mean, it's absolutely much easier to do your job as a publicist if you can point to a, a major media feature and like people see the needle move immediately and they feel that there's a sales impact right there. It's a little harder to make the case for you know, you should tweet and participate in a literary conversation that's important and interesting and engaging. And then the person says, how long should I do that? And you say, for the rest of your life. You know, it's not as sexy. But um, I think it's very necessary. And so I, I believe very strongly in a holistic perspective on publicity and marketing. And I don't see that as much as I would like to. I think there's a lot of talk about trends and fads. And the world moves so fast now that you just sort of feel like, something comes out and the second that you even try to interact with it it's over and there's not really a sense of taking a step back and thinking about what's right for you or what you can do better and so I would say just a, a lack of fearless inquiry into what might be possible I think a lot of people feel that saying that the things that we used to do don't work that well anymore is somehow an indictment that we're not working hard when in my experience my colleagues and peers are working harder than ever it's so much more work to publicize a book now and I was talking yesterday online with a friend who is um, you know totally famous in, in England and had a book come out and was just really surprised by the reception in the US and for one thing it is two different countries uh, even though we're very similar in many ways and we speak a common language and it's totally different but the fundamental difference is that the media market in London is the way that I remember the media market in 2003 or 2004 where you, I have a friend who does events like I do and he gets stories in the newspaper where it's like, I can't remember the last time a newspaper, you know, covered an event that I was doing just because it had literary merit. How do you work in tandem with the publicity at a publishing house? Is Has that changed recently? Just say say a bit about that, if you would. Oh, certainly. The way that I work with publishers, I work very collaboratively. So a lot of times... Um, I was reading once about this um, this kind of nutritional supplement that you can take, and it's one of those really magical things that we don't really understand the properties of plants as well as we could. Maybe we don't have that capacity, but it adapts to whatever you need in your system. It will just do whatever you need, and that's really what I do in my job. And so um, some pe people have all different kinds of circumstances, and so I find that the actual value of what I'm able to do is to treat each author and each book as though it were a totally unique set of circumstances. So some people um, 
you know, if it's an independent press, especially, I might be doing everything. I might be going to the post office. I might be um, arranging every aspect of an event. I might be making the press list myself. I might be doing all of that. If it's a really big house with, you know, um, a very prominent author who's got a lead title, I might just be liaising directly with the author to figure out which opportunities are going to be right and how to capitalize on things. And for me, I think a lot of the value of what I'm able to deliver is expertise and simply having the time. I don't do that many projects and I do a fraction of what someone in-house is assigned to do. So um, I'm able to stick with clients for the long haul and to work on things until I feel that they're truly completed and um, and to guide them and to think in a really macro way, not just to say what's going to be successful about this book, but what do you want to do in your life and in your career as a writer? And, and that I think is big. And sometimes there's a gray area between you know, what the agent's aspirations are and what the publisher wants and and the writer's kind of trying to figure it out because I think that there's a lot of very cherished fables that we trade about, you know, someone's going to champion you forever and they're going to like wire money to your hotel in the south of France when you run out. And I'm like, yeah, that totally happened in 1936. And, um, you know, I just think that I'm able to apply a dose of market realism and practical advice and a little magical thinking, but to really help people, you know, focus very clearly on, on their desires and to translate that into achievable goals. Can you talk a bit about how you work with writers who just want nothing to do with publicity, which I think so many writers are introverts and they feel like once they wrote the book, they're done and they they don't really want to have anything to do this isn't all writers, but I think some of them want nothing to do with the publicity. And I wonder how how do you manage to work with someone like that? Well, the thing that I always say to writers is you don't have to do anything. But you and I have to be very honest about what that thing would achieve. And then you have to do something else that satisfies that void. So I think that the real key thing that authors often overlook is that a lot of people um, – I used to program a literary series – and the first, like, th- I did it for seven years. And the first three years I did it, I was really serious, like, in a probably a little bit of an embarrassing way. And I would, like, come in with these folios. And I would be like, I think that this band is a great band. And I, like, went to four of their shows. And I did this, like, analysis for the audience. And I think they'd be great. And, you know, this person, I think, has these skills. I would just make this huge presentation. And I realized after a while that the only question they had asked is, like, who's hot right now? And whoever you said, like, that was the answer. They were hot right now and that it would work and it would be successful because you would be tapping into a kind of social um, and cultural momentum and that the zeitgeist is really the thing that people are looking for. So I find that there are a lot of people who are in a producing capacity or a booking capacity, and I get asked all the time. People are like, oh, I've got a date in September. Who are you working with that you recommend? Or is there a writer who would be a great fit for my series? Or I have a pot, anything. And so the question is, you know, what is your ability as a writer to capture and sustain that person's interest long enough for them to realize that you've got what it takes? So maybe you do not want to have anything to do with publicity, but you have a little money, so you could tell your publisher that you're willing to invest in them, you know, spending more money on producing galleys so that there are more galleys, so that your book is in the hands of more reviewers and more people are talking about it. That would be a totally respectable strategy. I have lots of clients now who don't participate in social media at all. And frankly, with the tenor online, um, I don't blame them. So I I don't make it a requirement anymore. I often do uh, request that people 
have a basic website or think about that. So, you know, you should be telling your story, not Google or Amazon or whatever people are using to kind of look up information. Because um, I think that's a real power that we have to kind of articulate what we think is best in ourselves and about our work directly to someone else. Where do you get your book news? What things do you like to read or look at? Um, in my job, I derive most of my information from Twitter. It is absolutely the engine of my professional life. The example that I often use when I'm trying to illustrate its uh, practical advantages for writers is that I will often email an editor a really well-crafted pitch and not hear back, and then I will go on Twitter, and that same person will be like, I don't feel like reading my email. However, I would love to read a new book. What should I read? And I'll say, this book, and they'll say, can you send it to me? And I'll just resend it. And I was at my friend's house, and she's a features editor, and I looked at her phone, and she had 7,000 unread emails, and I was so horrified. And she was like, why are you so horrified? I can't read them all. And I was like, I am like a ghost trapped in your phone. Like, there are other people who are trying to get through to you, you know. And so I find that social media specifically is great for that. I love small press books. I love independent books. I love hearing what people think about books that feel like a major cultural touchstone. So I get a lot of that from Twitter, a little bit less so from Facebook. I try to subscribe to literary magazines that I really respect and admire. So I usually have like five or six subscriptions going at any time because I think that um, as we go on, the role of the editor is only going to become more important because there's just so much information. You can't really read it. And then in my personal life, I read mostly autobiographies of forgotten women in history. And your Twitter handle? It's Lux Lotus, L-U-X-L-O-T-U-S. What? conferences or events are musts for you where do you really kind of dip into your community I don't go to a ton of conferences I think they're great for writers I would say especially the regional literary conferences I think are very 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 good I'm constantly suggesting that to people I think the last like half dozen or maybe more than that maybe 15 strategic consultations that I've done for people I've suggested BinderCon, which is coming up here in the fall. I think that's great. I think it's just a really, it's just such a good idea to be in the room. I think so many writers, you know, everybody in the world, we have this idea that we're going to get a call or an invitation or someone's going to have to anoint us or champion us. And you can just show up. Like, great things will happen if you show up. In terms of events, I I love independent bookstores. That's kind of my main thing. So any town that I'm in, I will drop any independent bookstore. Every now and then I'll go on tour with a client just to check out the independent bookstores in that town. And then I spend way too much money and I can't get my baggage on the plane. But I would highly recommend independent bookstores. And I would highly recommend finding the writing conference that is near you. I think that those relationships are really rich and really versatile in the same sense. And I would say, yeah, New York, the Brooklyn Book Festival is fantastic to drop in. It's everyone in publishing. And the talks are sort of hard to get tickets to because of the way they allocate them. So I don't go to as many of the discussions. I really just hang out and walk around the sort of plaza out front and visit all the booths and see people. And it's a fantastic way to initiate yourself in the scene here. And then I would say there's like half a dozen fantastic literary festivals in the U.S. right now that are like on my radar all the time. I'm going to go to the Texas Book Festival in the fall. I've been going to that the past few years. Lit Quake in San Francisco is amazing. The LA Times puts on its festival of books every spring. You know, there's one in Miami. So there's a lot happening. And I would say it's less essential that you um, go to everything than that you find something that's the right scale for you. You're not going to do well if 
you thrive on one on one communication and you're going to a conference with 10,000 attendees. But if you're really like, you know, you like meeting people, start something with a couple hundred people. What would you what advice would you give an aspiring book publicist? You have to go out every night. That's real. I think that there is a kind of sense um, when I first started, you know, you would send out 50 review copies to the top 10 or 12 papers in the country and a few radio shows and like the two TV producers that book books. And then uh, you would just sit back and let the phone ring. And that is simply not the case anymore. And I find that a lot of it is that I was just making a list the other night for a new feminist biography. And I think two thirds of my list was freelancers because I was just like, yeah, these people write for such interesting places. They're writing like the essay is having this beautiful moment right now. And a lot of people are just writing really great, fantastic things. And they're submitting them wherever they can place them. And unless you're out actually talking to people offline in the real world, more than 140 characters, you might not know that. So I would say that's a big thing. The other thing is you have to put the time in. I think a lot of times people, um, they see the sort of glamour of it and they think like, oh, it must be so great to put on a ball gown and go to a gala. And it's fun. It's really fun. You know, in some ways that's the life I dreamed of. But um, that is like the time. I've been staying up till three in the morning every night this week, (laughs) hand editing press lists every single entry thinking about if that's the right person to send it to so I feel like um, to approach your work as though it's a craft and that it's something that you always become better at if you keep focusing on learning and, and moving forward and especially for young women who are listening I would absolutely encourage you to reach out to more established women in your field I think that's something that uh, isn't tapped into as, as often as it could be and, and to just meet people and to learn things and I'm constantly you know, referring work to other publicists or meeting with people. Because when I went into work in the book world, I really, I had no insider credentials. And I just thought that I didn't know how to get a job or how to talk to people about publishing. I just felt like if unless you went to like a really elite liberal arts college, you know, and like your parents already did that and were like you summered in Maine and like, met people that I just didn't understand how to get in so if anyone ever asks me like how to get in I'm always happy to tell them everything I know and I'm not the only person in the world who feels that way so I would say um, absolutely get in the mix and really make sure that your online presence reflects the way that you want to be seen in the world I think especially for the millennial crowd there's a sort of attitude that you know this is me and these are my opinions and I don't care what you think. And I'm like, well, that's great. As a person who's in the position of conferring resources and jobs, I see that you don't care what I think. And so um, I'm not in a hiring position most of the time, but it is something that I observe a lot in people who are looking to break in. I, I often say to them, and I recently had this conversation with someone who worked with me a year or two ago, that um, you might have four or five seconds to make an impression. It's not necessarily about the resume anymore. And I think with a publicist specifically, and this applies to authors as well, um, people are going to be looking to see, do you know how to use those tools? You know, are you able to communicate with an audience? Like, can you put information out that is concise and professional and streamlined? And in some ways, I feel like people are a little reticent to put as much of themselves as they could into their communication online just because of the sort of tenor of it at the moment. 
Um, I think that's essential, though, to know how these things work and to be able to show people that you do is a very um, powerful and distinguishing skill to build. That is such great advice. What do you wish you were doing more of in your professional life, and what do you wish you were doing less of? I think in our society, we we don't really have a word in English or in America, really, for um, the passive receptivity of being bored and just thinking about things. Uh, I find, and this has always been true, like I absolutely can come up with ideas that no one has ever heard before reliably on the hour, like a clock, all day long on conference calls. It's my job. I know how to do it. It's Everything works. But I find that if I talk to someone and then I say, I think I know exactly what you need, but I'm going to take a couple days to think about it and walk around, they're always like, wow, you're so bohemian. But then when I do it, suddenly I'll, I'll think like, oh, absolutely, that's the way. That's the way to understand this process differently and that no one's done that before because it seemed risky or no one thought of it. But why don't I try that? That's totally, totally cool and totally new. And it doesn't have to work necessarily. A lot of times things don't work, but... I think that there's a richer kind of fertility from not putting pressure on yourself to always be an agent of capitalism. So I'd like to resist the forces that bear down on me to appear to be productive at all times. Uh, what would I like to be doing less of? I'm not crazy about going to like seven meetings a day uh, because I have to do my work at my desk when I get home. So I have thought about that a lot earlier in my career. I was very resistant to the idea of working for anyone else because I felt that, you know, my ideas had so much integrity and there was no way someone could tell me what to do. And frankly, my penchant for speaking very directly was not uh, the biggest asset to me at age 22 because I didn't have the experience to really understand when that was helpful information and when it was just kind of someone talking in a meeting. And so... Um, as I went on, I, I felt very protective of kind of my time and my ability and my ideas. But as I get older, I think like, oh, it would be really fun to just delegate half of this. But I also, I hold very uh, close to me the idea that my clients have put a faith in me to handle things that are are difficult and challenging and that for whatever reason have been so intractably frustrating that they're willing to spend their own money to fix it. So I do feel, you know, a great responsibility to be available when it's required and requested. What would you like to mention that I might have forgotten to ask you about? I think the biggest key that I learned in my own life that I find I am often telling authors is that things change all the time. And what you really want to do is, you know, surf the current and stay a part of things and keep doing what you're doing because you're doing what you're meant to do in this world in this like beautiful short time that we have in it. And that that change can always benefit you. Like it can, any time uh, the current can shift and your work can suddenly become hugely relevant or really essential or some important influential person can decide like that season's spotlight is going to get shined on you. And I see that all the time. And I do really think the important thing is to keep showing up. When I first started my first reading series uh, a lot million moons ago, I, I remember thinking very clearly like, oh, I, I'd only been in New York for about eight six months I think or a year and I thought oh now I understand like how New York works like not everybody has a great idea that they're willing to back up by doing it a lot of people have great ideas but they're not willing to do it and I'm willing to do it I will like instantly distinguish myself which I did and then I realized like five or six months into planning this monthly event that actually New York was 
all people that felt that way, that they had come to New York so that they could be surrounded by other people who constantly had good ideas and constantly followed them through and constantly stayed committed. And I thought, oh, right, that's the secret to this world is to do it forever. Fantastic. I am going to wrap it up on that on that note. This was so terrific. Lauren Saran, thank you so much for coming on Books and Authors today. And that, again, is C-E-R-A-N-D is Lauren's last name. And if you want to find her on Twitter, it's Lux Lotus, L-U-X-L-O-T-U-S. If you like this show, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Books and Authors, BKS and Authors. And don't forget to spread the word to your book-loving friends. Thanks for listening to Books and Authors. 